0: Well, good morning. Tomorrow and Tuesday, we celebrate Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Happy Christmas, everyone. I love Christmas. I'm, to everybody's annoyance, I'm the type that turns on his Christmas music as soon as he can. And I am in no rush to take down any kind of Christmas decorations at all. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of, uh, Christmas, there's a lot of Christmas music that you can play throughout the winter, That, like Winter Wonderland and Sleigh Bells Ring, you know, all those songs. I mean, they're just winter songs. So I'm just going to continue to play them until spring. Why not, right? Don't judge me. <laughs> anyway, happy Christmas. Um, J.I. Packer once wrote, It is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the most profound, unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. God became man. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the Epistle of First John. The title of my message today is The Incarnation, Joy to the World. The Epistle of First John. So let's read The few short verses at the beginning of chapter one of 1st John. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. And was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard. We proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father. And with his son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things. So that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Our father and our God. This week your children. The universal church we'll be celebrating the birth of Christ. We'll be rejoicing that the greatest gift ever given to mankind was that your Son, the perfect sacrifice for sin, came to this earth. Lord, may we always remember that Jesus clothed himself in humanity while not giving up any of his deity. May we remember that because of his great love, grace and mercy toward humanity, he entered into a state of humiliation, a state of servitude, suffering and anguish, taking off the robe of a king and wrapping himself in a servant's towel. How thankful we are that the Son of God assumed a human nature and concealed the divine glory under a veil of flesh, limiting himself as man is limited, yet not giving up any of his deity. Today, as we look at the Incarnation, may we be filled with joy that Jesus came into this world to save sinners like us. In your name we pray. Amen. The Incarnation, joy to the world. The first epistle of John is just one of several books written by the Apostle John. The Apostle John was also known as the Apostle whom Jesus loved. John is credited to have written the Gospel of John, the three epistles of John, and the book of Revelation, and some scholars state that the book or the letter that we're about to dive into was written between 8085 and 8095, and one of the reasons that John wrote this letter to believers was to warn them of false teachings that were spreading about Jesus not actually coming in the flesh. These false teachers and their false teachings were a supreme danger threatening the very life of the Christian community. You had the Gnostics who believed that matter was evil or that at least inferior to spiritual realities and that salvation could only be attained by a mystical, even secretive knowledge. These ideas led them to deny the incarnation of Christ. You had the Docetists who believed that Jesus was a ghost or a phantom and only appeared to be human. Then you had a guy named Cerinthus who said that the Christ Spirit came on and empowered the man Jesus at his baptism but left him at the cross. So John had to deal with all of these false teachings during this day. Thus he wrote this letter to the church defending the divinity and defending the humanity of Jesus Christ. Of course, this letter is God-breathed, and it is God himself, through the Apostle John, who is actually affirming Christ's deity and his humanity. Truly God, truly man. And that's just a brief historical synopsis of, of this letter, so you may understand the context better. So turn with me again to First John chapter 1, and let's start off with verses 1 and 2a. The first point I have is the joy to know Christ. The joy to know Christ. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. Let's stop there. We see here that John is pointing to the pre-dawn of time and the pre-existence of Christ. Habakkuk 1.12 states, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? Habakkuk had a solid theology and knew that God lives forever and ever without beginning or without end. He knew that the eternal God could not be created. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The idea here is that God always was, always is, and always will be. He is the eternal, unchanging God. From before all creation was made, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Trinity existed with all of the attributes essential to deity. The prophet Micah proclaimed, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. This is a prophecy of the Messiah coming to save his people from sin. This Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and would rule forever. And Micah pens that the Christ is from eternity past and will rule forever as King of Kings. And John starts off his gospel proclaiming the preexistence of Christ. He says in John chapter 1 verse 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Christ, the uncreated word, pre-existed in timeless eternity with the father face to face in absolute harmony and unity. So John is documenting in John chapter one that Jesus, the Logos word, existed before the virgin birth. As a matter of fact, it was the pre-existent Christ who created Mary, his earthly mother. So echoing John 1, John states in his epistle, that which was from the beginning. There has never been a time when the son was not. Never. He was before the beginning. He was in the beginning. And he was from the beginning. That's what the apostles believed. That's what Jesus taught. He boldly proclaimed before Abraham was, I am, indicating that he himself was the God of Exodus chapter 3:14 when he said to Moses, I am who I am. It was Jesus speaking to Moses. John confessed that Jesus, what Jesus proclaimed, that he was God, that he was truly divine. John continues to say in First John 1, 1, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Here, John is expressing that he himself was an eyewitness to the physical and historical reality of Jesus's life on earth. John's message here is not based on a revelation that he had or an idea that came into his mind or even a religious conviction. First, he defends the divinity of Christ, and now he's defending the humanity of Christ. He is testifying to the reality that God became man. He says that he had seen him. His eye contact that he had greatly impacted John throughout his life. Now, remember, the false teachers of the day were saying that Jesus was some mystical phantom image or vision. And John is saying, no, I've seen Jesus. I've literally seen the Christ. And during Jesus's lifetime on this earth, as you search the scriptures and read, many had seen him in the flesh. And they testified of this. And since it's Christmas time, we see in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32, Simeon, who cried out, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. He said this after taking Jesus into his arms. So not only did he see him, he touched him. The expectation of the Messiah was now fulfilled. Simeon sees Christ. The hope in saving the lost is now realized at this very moment. That hope has come to fruition in the form of a babe. Emmanuel, God with us, has come into the world for both Jew and Gentile-like, salvation for sinners. For three years, John and the apostles observed Jesus and saw with their own eyes the astonishing and unmistakable realities of who Jesus is. They saw him exercise authority over demons. They saw him have supernatural power over disease, nature, and death. They saw him exercise authority to forgive sins and to grant eternal life. And then John goes on to say that he had touched Jesus, that he actually touched God in the flesh. He records it in his gospel, John 13, 23 and 25, John chapter 21, verse 20, all reference how John reclined against Jesus at the Last Supper. John even records how Thomas was encouraged by the resurrected Christ to touch him. And we can see that in John chapter 20, verse 26. So John, what he's doing here is he's mounting his attack on the heretics who are denying that Christ came in human flesh. So he sees him, he touched him, and now he's saying he's heard him. He has heard Jesus's parables. He has heard firsthand Jesus' sermons. He has received counsel from God incarnate himself. And John writes in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What John is stating here is very profound. Because if Jesus did not become a man, he could not be tempted. A part of his human nature Jesus could not have experienced temptation. The incarnation provides us with an advocate before the Father's throne who knows exactly what we're going through and exactly how it feels to go through it. God became man so that he could sympathize with our weaknesses. So he could assure us that victory over sin and temptation is possible through his strength. If Jesus did not become man, he could not be an example to us. Because Jesus became man, we can respond to suffering and trials as he did. By his strength, we can have Christ-like attitudes to persevere when storms arise and trials come. He's our example on how to persevere through them. If Jesus did not become a man, he could not die. We should never look at Bethlehem without seeing the cross. We should never contemplate the incarnation without our, thought, without our thoughts drifting to the crucifixion. In a small manger in Bethlehem, the eternal son of God became a man that he could die for our sin, he renounced the glory due him, became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. You see, without the incarnation, we could not have the crucifixion, the atonement where all the wrath of God was absorbed by him. without the crucifixion, we could not have the resurrection. And without the resurrection, we could not have salvation and fellowship with God and with one another. So John says that he and others have seen, touched, and heard Jesus. Just say something practical here. In college, I was known as the practical one. My friends would say, you always preach very practically. You don't really get too deep into the theological Here's a practical one. So you're like, John, the practical one. So let me get some practical stuff here. Spiritual life comes through belief. Salvific faith. Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 29, right after Thomas touched him by placing his fingers in his wombs, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We must believe That Jesus is the incarnate word, the promised Messiah, the God-man, the Son of God. And upon believing, we become recipients of eternal life. We must acknowledge that we are sinners and that Jesus is sinless. We must renounce sinful ways and commit to follow after the word of life. We must hold fast To the truth that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And when we repent and place our trust in Christ alone for salvation. The words that Jesus said to Thomas after Thomas placed his fingers in Jesus' wounds. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those words pertain to us. I have not seen Jesus in the flesh. I was not physically uh, physically present to hear him when he walked the earth. I have not physically touched Jesus. But I have seen him. I have seen him through this. His word. With the eyes of faith. He walks with me. And he talks with me. And I have heard him. With the ears of faith. From Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. To Revelation chapter 22 verse 21. I have heard Jesus speak to me. And so have you believer. And what joy we have. That we know our creator. That he himself. Stooped out of heaven pitched a tent in human flesh to be with us, his very own creation. What joy we have that minute after minute, day after day, year after year, we can communicate to God through prayer because his son broke down the barrier of hostility between us by becoming the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for us. There's joy in knowing that through Christ every single sin that we have ever committed has been forgiven. And that when God looks at us, he sees his son's righteousness that has been imputed to us. There's joy in knowing Christ. And that joy of knowing him is a gift given to every believer in Christ. Joy to you and me. Joy to the world. The Christian community that is. John continues in verse 2. He says. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it. Here John is again stating. That the pre-existing Christ. Became visible to us. In human flesh. That great mystery which the Apostle Paul writes about in Ephesians, the mystery that was prophesied by David and the prophets has come. He has been revealed to mankind. He came to Bethlehem to be with us. Point number two. The joy to share Christ. Continuing in verse 2, John says, And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, John is declaring the truth Jesus is the Christ he is God in the flesh and he did come to save people from the penalty of sin the psalmist writes in Psalm 145 verses 11 and 12 they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of the power of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom we as God's people Declare with joy the mighty acts of God. What he has done for us and for our benefit. We have this good news to proclaim. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, lives are transferred from darkness to light. And with joy and with grace-enabled boldness, we proclaim as his church the gospel of the kingdom. The apostle Paul said in first Corinthians two, two, for I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The message of the gospel supersedes all other ideologies. The message of the gospel supersedes all other religions. The message of the gospel supersedes all rhetoric that the world has to offer. The gospel is the matter of first importance and there should be no shame, no shame at all in proclaiming it. For it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Jew and Gentile alike. And John goes on to write and testify to it and proclaim to you The eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Again, he speaks of the preexistence of Christ. He is stating here that Jesus was with the Father before he came to this earth as a child. Jesus, the word of life, became the basis for John's proclamation. Jesus, the word of life, is to be the basis of our proclamations When we evangelize. Verse 3, he says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, John speaks of his own eyewitness account of being with Christ seeing him with his very own eyes. And he testifies once again that not only did he see Jesus, but he heard him, the word of life, speak of being being eternally begotten from the Father to save that which was lost, you and me, in our unregenerate state. And now John is using his apostolic authority to tell his readers that he will also proclaim the same message to all. You know, when when one experiences the new birth, one cannot help but to be joyful about it. When When one experiences the new birth, one will joyously tell of the one who saved them. And that is what John is doing here. When we evangelize our family, when we evangelize our neighbor, when we evangelize the barista at Starbucks or the cashier at Home Depot or whoever we come into contact with, we do it with joy. Because we want them to experience the same forgiveness of sins that we too have experienced. It's a joyful act, evangelist. And John continues, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. When one becomes a genuine, authentic Christian, two things happen. That person enters into fellowship with the triune God, and he or she enters into fellowship with the church, past, present, and future and this is what john is speaking of here communal fellowship he proclaims the word of life in order that the hearers would have fellowship with the saints this fellowship is authentic it's not manufactured or counterfeit it is a genuine fellowship with one another this koinonia is one of the benefits of salvation Authentic partnership with one another. We have mutual participation in a common cause, and that cause is Jesus. Not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging each other, being patient with one another, being humble, gentle, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's koinonia. Because we have Christ in common, we base our relationships on him. Not on anything else. Not on our styles of music, our style of dress, not on sports, but on Jesus. You may have an unbelieving neighbor. You would have more in common with a Christian who lives in China or Africa or in Russia than you would with your unbelieving neighbor because you have Jesus in common. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Salvation brings about union. Not only are we united with the saints of the present, the past, and the future, most importantly, we are united with Christ, the head of the church, and the Father. New birth produces new life. And that new life means that the true Christians are brought into everlasting fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. And none of this would have been attainable had it not been for the Incarnation. None of this would have happened if Jesus, the Incarnate One, had not taken on the form of a fertilized human egg conceived by the Holy Spirit, knit together in Mary's womb by God, and was birthed in a manger in Bethlehem. The fullness of time had come and God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Tom, if you and the team could come up. My final point is three, the joy of enjoying Christ. John says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Someone once said, God is glorified when we find our joy in him. A common theology, a common father, a common experience of joy unites all of us who have come to know this life that is like no other, the life of Jesus, the incarnate word. John wrote this letter so that our joy may be complete. John is echoing the words of the incarnate one in John fifteen eleven. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We have joy in the shared life with Jesus. That joy is ours through our friendship with one another and with God and now with our Father. And this joy that we have is in, in covenant relationships is only made possible because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one day, brothers and sisters, that joy will be complete. One day when this sinful world ceases, when Jesus returns, when there are no lo- we are no longer plagued with indwelling sin or by Satan himself, our joy will be complete. You know, if, if believers will ultimately be one in heaven... Why shouldn't we try to be one here while on this earth? And why should there not be a joy in true Christian fellowship as there will be later? This is something we should work toward. Something we should all pray about and anticipate. Not just for Christian fellowship now, but for all eternity with the Godhead and with one another. And again, all this is possible because of the incarnation of Christ. There's an old choir song that I used to sing when I was a new believer in the first Protestant church I attended after I became a Christian. I'm not going to attempt to sing it to you as I'd surely go flat and I don't have an angelic voice like CB. But the words are this and I often catch myself singing it, especially when I have my low moments and I have plenty of those. There's joy, there's joy in my heart today for all my sins have been washed away. And now I have a new song to sing of praises unto Jesus, my King. I will sing of thy steadfast love forever. With my mouth, I will proclaim thy faithfulness unto all generations. Can you say that today? Can you honestly say that your sins have been forgiven? Or are you here and you're saying to yourself, you know, I don't know Jesus. I've never had The joy of knowing him. The good news is that God provided a way for sinners to be reconciled to him. That news was proclaimed in the Garden of Eden. When mankind sinned. And God promised the seed of the woman would be born. And would bring victory over sin and its devastating effects. And God keeps his promises that seed of the woman was Jesus. And Jesus is no longer in the manger. The perfect God-man laid down his life on a brutal cross, taking upon himself the punishment that you and I deserve. And in doing so, he purchased redemption for God's people by sacrificing himself for us. And on the third day, The tomb that he was placed in was empty. He rose from the dead, was vindicated by the Father, secured our salvation, and brought us into the family of God. My friend, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Please repent and entrust your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ this morning. Christmas is about Jesus. It's about his incarnation pointing to his crucifixion and resurrection, which has cured our salvation. Tom and the team are going to close us out with a song. If you would stand. And C.B. and I, we wish you a very happy Christmas and a grace-filled New Year. C.B. and John, um, on behalf of the church, I just wanted to thank you for all of your hard work and the service you've been doing here for the Lord. And we
1: wanted to say Merry Christmas with a small appreciation. Uh, Church, thank you so much. It was so unexpected. And John and I are so grateful you all and it is such an honor to be your pastors and Merry Christmas to you all as we close I wanted to just uh, just highlight what John shared during the message if Jesus did not become a man he could not die and John said we should never look at Bethlehem without seeing the cross So the next few days, as we're looking at Bethlehem and reflecting on Bethlehem, let us, as John exhorted us, let us see the cross and remember God's love for us as sinners and that while we were still sinners, God sent his own son to become a man so that he could die and pay the penalty for our sins and save us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing love and this service. It's all for you, and it's all because of you. We are so thankful and so amazed, Father, that you would have sent your only son, your only son. to come and take on human flesh so that he could die for us rebels so that we might be reconciled to you and enjoy you forever. Lord, it is beyond our ability to fully comprehend that love. And we just want to thank you so much for sending him Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for for coming to rescue us. Holy Spirit, we worship you and thank you for opening up our eyes. So that we might see. We love you, God. We love you, God. You have made this truly A Merry Christmas for all of us in this room who have believed. We love you. Glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So look at Bethlehem as you go and see the cross, brothers and sisters. God bless you and Merry Christmas.